Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the 10 Lost Podcast with East Forest. Thanks for being here this week. I'm very excited because I just got back from Costa Rica where we were doing the retreat at Reunion and I, uh, afterwards I got to cross paths with Lama Sultram. Lama Sultram is an author and a teacher and uh, studied so deeply in the Tibetan Buddhism lineage. Uh, she's been recognized by multiple teachers as an emanation. That's kind of a form of reincarnation. Uh, I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's Machig Labdrang, an 11th, 12th century female founder of several lineages in Tibetan Buddhism. Um, that's a whole fascinating thing in itself she was telling me about. We didn't get to talk about that on the podcast. I mean, her entire story of how she became a Lama and and just her life history is is un- unbelievable. I look forward to reading that autobiography that she's working on. Um, but she has several other books absolutely worth checking out. Of course, I mentioned that live stream, Lama Live, and she teaches out there in the world if you're lucky enough to cross paths with her. So dive in, dive into the world of Lama Sultram. And we get a little bit, a little bit of a taste of it here. And the Lama and I, we met at uh, the Ram Das retreat last year in Boone. And we've kept in touch and she has a place down there in Costa Rica. There's just sort of this cool alignment where we got to actually spend some time together. There was one moment where Lama said, uh, do you, you know, should we should go to the ocean? I think it was after our conversation. And I was like, that sounds like a lovely idea. And Rod and I were there. And she's like, uh, let's boogie board. And I was like, boogie board with the Lama? I am so in. And we did. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, but we had, we had an amazing conversation. And uh, she had done her, well, she does this uh, regular live stream called Lama Live. So I sat in with that, and thanks for Scott for giving me a ride there, of course. And then we got into a conversation, a little little podcast. And the podcast is cool because she's going to speak to uh, sort of a terrifying but also very interesting Tibetan uh, prophecy uh, about a date 2030 that I'm sure you're going to want to hear as well as uh, uh, mantra and practices we can do to help avert that potentiality. Uh, We also have uh, some embodied meditation exercises within this podcast. So it's it's a good one to be able to give your space to dive into it and really listen and do those practices if you can. You can repeat them, of course. Uh, But we did this remotely in her home. So I had sort of a quick remote setup. So the sound quality... You know, it's not up to perhaps our normal podcast when I'm sitting here on this nice mic, but I did my best to clean it up and I don't think it'll be a hindrance for you to drop in whatsoever. It's sort of cool. It's like environmental. The the wind was like coming through because there's this open floor plan to the house uh, overlooking the ocean far off in the distance. You can just imagine, imagine us, us there. Very warm, of course, indeed. So I'm honored to have uh, Lama Sultram on the podcast, and I'm excited for you to drop into her teachings and her words and her wisdom, and uh, this is going to be a really beautiful experience. I do want to say thank you to everyone on our Patreon. By the way, I just released on the Patreon an entire ceremony from Esalen. I put the whole thing up, and I, I get to release all sorts of things like that, that I don't have a place to release anywhere else. Lots of long form music, demos, and of course our monthly Zoom council. And there's other tiers in there, one-on-ones with me and so forth. 
check it out. Patreon.com slash East Forest. That's Patreon.com slash East Forest. It's a great way to support the show and support the project in general and a way for us to form community and deepen our experiences together. Upcoming events, I'll be at the Tree Fort Music Fest. I'm doing multiple events there. I'll be doing a yoga fort live accompaniment to my partner Rada's yoga fort class. I'll also be as part of Film Fort. We're going to be doing a sneak peek work in progress preview of the Music for Mushrooms doc- documentary. The whole thing, which is very exciting. That's at Film Fort. And then in the Tree Fort, I'll be doing a music set that will also feature uh, a portion, like 20, 30 minutes of the film, that'll flow right into my live set. So check out Tree Fort Music Fest. That is the third week in March in Boise, Idaho. And then I'll also be at Summit at Sea in early April. That is uh, on international waters, as it were. Um, Speaking of Tibetan Buddhist lineages, I'll also be uh, facilitating a conversation with Robert Thurman on the boat, in addition to uh, doing a similar feature of Music for Mushrooms into music, live music, ceremony, concert performances. Uh, there's there's much more to come later on this year in the work, so get on the newsletter. Uh, certainly follow us on socials if you're not already. Uh, newsletter is probably the best way to to uh, make sure you hear about something that's happening in your neck of the woods, and we'll be sure to tell you. But for now, let's dive into this conversation with our dear friend, Lama Soldrum. just watched your live stream, Llama Live, and um, there were so many ideas in there that cultivated a feeling of peacefulness in me, but there are also ideas that like resonated with other things I've heard. And I just think about the universality of these explorations into beingness. And one of them was the, the word expanse, uh, about it having no center and no edge. I That just lit me up. And about the nature of being, being effortless. Mm-hmm. And it just, that echoes something I've always thought to myself that enlightenment, as we think of it, is no further away than our next breath. That it's something you fall into that's just there. Um, maybe you could say a little bit more about that, because I wanted to hear more about that. <laughs> We all want to hear more about that. <laughs> that maybe that in itself is the mind, right? That we're reaching for. No, I think it's also recognition of the truth. That that's actually true. And there's a longing for truth in all of us. So our, our true nature is really something that is always present. And we have the idea of path because... Our true nature is covered. It's sort of like wearing veils, sometimes multi-layered veils. But it's like the sun behind the clouds. It's always shining. And so our path is really how we get those veils off. But what we discover is not different than what already existed. In other words, nothing actually develops during the path. It's more that we uncover what's already present. 
And you said it's actually just as far away as the next breath. And that's what they say in Dzogchen, that there can be instantaneous enlightenment, where you just hear it, and then you recognize it, and then you abide in it. And that's very rare, because for most of us, we we may recognize it, but we can't stabilize the abiding. And so our path is really that process of first recognizing and then stabilizing the abiding. There's a, a way that a Lama explained it to me once was like, okay, so I'm going to take this glass and I'm going to cover it with this paper. And so this is the ground of being, the, the glass. glass of water you're holding. Yeah. yeah. So the glass is there, it's present, and then it's covered by non-recognition. That's, that's the word for ignorance or marigpa, non-recognition. So the causes of non-recognition are, are karmic actions. So the more negative karma that we accumulate, the more veils or the more paper goes on top of the, the glass. And so what happens during the path is this, the paper gradually goes off. And at first you just see a little hole under the paper and you see a little bit of the glass under it. And then maybe you practice more and you see half of it. And then a little more and you see 75%. But then something happens and it goes back to being almost completely covered. Or maybe it continues and goes off completely. But what's there when it goes off completely was already there in the beginning. So that's, that's a, to me, a very clear analogy of the process. So they say the ground and the fruit are the same. The ground and the fruition. So, it's possible that somebody can just pull that off all the way. And they, that's called chikcharwa, which means liberation at once or instantaneous liberation. And there are historic incidences when this happened. And then it, it didn't come back. It didn't, you know, cover up again. But... Generally, for most of us, it's a gradual process, and it, it it may not even begin in this life. In other words, people could live their whole life with it just covered. So they say that you need to have it pointed out. There's something called pointing out instructions, where somebody tells you what's under the paper. What is your true nature? And so that might consist of using a symbol, like a mirror, a mirror-like nature of mind and holding up a mirror and explaining how, although the mirror appears to change by what's passing in front of it, actually the condition of the mirror doesn't change, just what passes in front of it changes. 
and the condition of the mirror is clarity. And so they say the nature of the mind is like a mirror. That's one of the ways of explaining it. Another way of explaining it is like a crystal. And so the crystal is our true nature, our capacity. And most of the time, we don't realize that the crystal contains the potential of rainbow light. It's just, the potential is just abiding there in the crystal. And so it's not until the light hits it in the right way that all of a sudden the rainbows come out of the crystal and you see them. And so pointing out instructions is like shining the light into the crystal and the rainbows coming out. And then, oh, yeah, now I see there are the rainbows. But before that, it was just pure potential. Do you think that art, in a sense, is a way of illuminating our true potential through inspiration? Or even with things like the advent of recorded music, or the way we can now make movies and uh, in essence, it's speaking to the expanse with no edge. Mm. Do you mean, do I think that someone could get access to Maybe. the true condition through just listening to music and nobody pointing it out? Nobody. Well, in a sense, I'm saying like what, maybe I'm using the word enlightenment in a different way, but it's most like we, we, we get glimpses of it, perhaps washing the dishes. We get those moments of, of infinity. And yes, then the, the, it becomes covered again, but yet it's just there. And so I love music and art because it cultivates that feeling in me, perhaps momentary. Yes. But Mm -hmm. It's like I'm dipping my foot into the well and it helps me stay connected. Yeah, I, I, I think it it also depends on the karma of the individual. So someone like you might have these kind of instances of spontaneous insight while washing the dishes or listening to music or seeing a piece of art, but someone else might not. It would depend on how covered their glasses. And then there's various things get, that can trigger the uncovering of their glass. And for most people, it's an encounter with a teacher or a book or some sort of learning, but particularly a teacher who can explain it and then take you there at some level. But there's also other situations that could trigger access to it because it's there. It's, 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 it's always there. And it really depends on the karma of the individual and how, how obscured they are. And so a lot of the practices that we do are purification practices to reduce the obscuration 
And then I think also psychedelics, for example, can trigger an experience of touching on that. And then through meditation practice or maybe contact with a teacher and meditation practice, they can cultivate that and take more of the cover off glass. So the process is, that's the path. But what is it that's uncovered? That's called in the Tibetan tradition, it's called the Ji, or the ground. It can also be translated as base. Um, I like the translation, the ground of being. Kunshi, the, the all ground. And that all ground has no center and no edge. It doesn't have dimensions. And it's also not in time. Uh, the uh, Tibetan tradition has something called the fourth time. It's literally the fourth time. Dutsu Shi, Dutsu Shipa. The fourth time is the time beyond time. It's when you're out of that way of experiencing things as a continuum and you're dropping into what doesn't change. And we think of Buddhism as teaching all about impermanence. Big teaching of the Buddha is impermanence, but the Buddha also taught about what doesn't change, which doesn't mean it's permanent either, because if you establish something as permanent, then you go to the extreme of permanence. If you say it's impermanent, you go to that extreme. And that's why you, you know those words, form is emptiness, emptiness is form. Emptiness is not other than form. Form is not other than emptiness. It's from the Heart Sutra. So, so what we discover, what's there, is something that's not in time. It's not in space. It's presence. It's it's cognition. And that knowing of it is its nature. So the quality that knows it is also it. So there's another word. Sometimes I like these Tibetan words because they're kind of onomatic poetic. So the the word is rangrik. And so it's awareness recognizing itself. Right. I say right because it's like that's what we think of as consciousness, our awareness of being conscious. And we make this yeah. assumption too that that's unique to us. It's very anthropomorphic in a sense. I mean, do we know if dolphins or even plants or trees? But the point is that's our way of, of thinking about life. Yeah. And it is a strange thing. That's such a cool way of looking at it. Like that is it, is the 
it's almost like the double awareness in a way. Yeah. It's a, a, another way that it's translated is reflexive awareness. Awareness of itself. Awareness of awareness. And so in that moment of the rung rig, what happens is that the the knowing that's usually going out into our world and having opinions about things, deciding what color something is, if they like something or not, that all that that mind that's going out, and literally it is going out. It's it's going out through the ears, it's going out through the eyes, and then ascertaining appearances, what's appearing, not only visually, but through all the senses and through thought. And so let's say that's the mind in drive. And so meditation, in a way, is taking the mind out of drive and putting it into neutral. And so when that outward moving energy turns back toward itself, it drops down into vastness, into the great space. And that's another way that it's described as Longchen, which is the vast expanse. And you were saying you like the word expanse. And it's interesting because there's different words for space in Tibetan. For example, Ka is one word. And then, and Namka is the sky. And then there's the word Ying, which can also mean dimension, but also space. And then there's Long, and Long is expanse. And so one of the explanations I've had of those words is that Long is the awareness of space. The Ka and the Ying are just the space. But then when it's long, there's an awareness of it. I don't know if it's always uh, translated that way or if it's always interpreted that way, but um, our experience, whenever we're in that experience of self-cognizing or awareness of awareness, there's always the experience of vastness, of space. And that's one of the differences between this and mindfulness because in mindfulness there isn't necessarily an awareness of space there's there's an awareness of whatever it is that you're focusing on like cutting the carrots um, even mindfulness of mind is still not going as far as as that reflexive awareness and so so let's let's do a little experiment. So now look out at whatever you're seeing and think about it in a way of I really like that. I really like that whatever it is you're looking at. And you really generate that feeling of really liking it. And 
maybe you want more of it. I want more of that. Or I, I want I want a house like that. Or I want this in my house. So I really feel that strongly, what that feels like in your body. Okay, now look at the same thing, and this time think, I don't like it. I really don't like that. I wish it wasn't there. I don't want to see that anymore. And notice how that feels in your body. So now we've had those two experiences. Now take that mind that's gone out and liked and disliked and imagine that you're taking it out of drive, which is what that is. You're driving toward that object as separate and having judgments about it, etc., Take that mind and turn it back, release it, and turn it back to look at its own source. What do you experience? When you turned it back. There's a bit of judgment, but it almost feels like a joke. Like it's like, who is the thing? What is this that has the feelings in the first place when I did the first two, like and dislike? But those were so, those feelings were so visceral and real body somatic and so in that first moment when you turn back what what what's your experience to be honest it kind of stopped the gears in a way yeah so that's the experience of emptiness it's like everything falls away and you're just present and sometimes doing extreme like that makes it clearer the other experience because it's sort of like if you really tense up and then you relax, you can feel the relaxation more than if I just say relax. Contrast. Yeah. Oh man, I have a, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I have a question then. It makes me wonder, is that what this all is? It's just this one great contrast so that the release after eons of creation and the madness and, and the joys and the gains and the losses 
that the expanse can feel that much more expansive, but isn't that just pointless because it's expanse? I'm trying to get to what the heck is going on. It, and it feels like I would call it, I sometimes feel like it's a game of peekaboo mm-hmm. where it's just in a sense, remembering is the joy, but then I'm like, do we need joy though in, in pure emptiness? It, it's called great bliss, which is different than uh, normal joy or normal happiness, Mahasuka, Sanskrit. And so that, I don't know if you experience bliss in your body when I said turn and release, but a lot of people do because our true condition is bliss. That's our actual true condition is, is, is blissful. And our lack of bliss is because of the covered up glass. So when that's removed, the true condition reveals itself and it's, it's great bliss. And space, spaciousness. So then your question was, well, <laughs> what's this whole thing, this whole universe? Please, please excuse my ridiculous questions, but I sometimes just like want to zoom out and it's like I'm talking to Lama Sultram. And I'm like, please, Lama, you know, what is, what's going on? Like, why? Because mm. there's so much going on these days that I think it is hard to, to we know too much. And it's like, wow, I know everything going on and it's a lot to hold. Mm -hmm. It's easy to feel like I want to, you people want to give up. But it's all appearances. So there's the ji, right? The ground. And then there's the nang, the ji nang. So the, the nang is the appearances or the luminosity that the ji expresses. And so our world is the ground presencing. So what we normally consider as things, like objects, like I'm looking at concrete wall and wood ceiling and so on. All of appearances are really the play of the ground, the display of the ground the ground radiating or the radiance of the ground. And so even though we're aware of so much more now than we would have, like we're aware of, you know, what's happening in all these different parts of the world simultaneously and so on, really it's it's not different because it's all just the play of the ground or the ground presencing, jinang. So that means that our world is a verb. The there's, world <laughs> is a verb. There's no nouns. There's there's nothing that's static. There's no things. It's all it's all moving. It's all in um it's all verbing. You know, like let's say a, a rock is is presencing more slowly, right? The the waves are more dense or, you know, however you would explain it scientifically. But still, even science 
in quantum physics particularly, says that it's all changing. And so, even though it might seem more complex now, it's not. It's, it's the same as it was. It's just that we're seeing more of the ground presencing at the same time. And so what I would suggest if people feel overwhelmed by all the information and so on, that you just learn how to release it. And that little exercise that I just gave you of releasing, going out of drive and into neutral, you can do it at any moment. So let's say you're driving, you, you, you go pick up your kids at school, uh, you're thinking about, oh, I forgot about that lesson they have or that party they have to go to, I didn't get the birthday present, whatever, you know, all those thoughts. And then you feel kind of overwhelmed and stressed. And then you just turn, release it, and look and rest. So turn, look, and rest. So turn is the actual turning. Look is, what do I see when I turn? Which is nothing. And then rest in that. And so you learn how to return to the ground. Slight shift of gears, but not really. The uh, last two days I've heard you speak twice now about a uh, really ancient Tibetan prophecy. Around 2030, you said these came from the 8th century, these prophecies. Mm-hmm about calamity coming our ways that you believe may mean du- nuclear catastrophe and that there's this is a potential in a sense mm-hmm. even though it's prophecy and that there's things that can be done to help influence that potential averting averting yeah. and beyond uh like the, the prayer you led or spoke the, earlier today that was most people can't they could receive that <laughs> What, are, what can the average person do to participate in the averting? Well, I think that shorter mantra, Oma Hum Vajaguru Pema Siddhi Hum, that's the mantra that's recommended. So, yeah, well, first I'd like to tell what the prophecy is. So it's longer than what I'm going to say, but, and I can send you the whole prophecy, it's four pages. Essentially what it says is that in the year of the dog that's coming um, in, in 2030, there could be a nuclear war that would wipe out life on Earth as we know it. And um, this year, which is the year of the dragon, Dragon's a quite positive uh, year. And so in the year of the dragon, you can do averting rituals and averting practices that could neutralize that that tendency. But all that is happening now with global warming and um, things like people changing clothes faster, like they predicted the change of fashion, in the 8th century, you think about it like 
it used to be that countries wore the same clothes for centuries. Like in India, they wore saris for centuries. They didn't like have new fashions. They didn't in Tibetan and most traditional culture. So they predicted those kinds of changes. So anyway, many of these things are, have already happened. But um, this in the year of the dragon, you can do these averting rituals. And probably the most simple one is doing the mantra, Om Ah Hung Benza Guru Pema Siddhi Hung. Om Ah Hung can be spelled H-U-M or H-U-N-G, Om Ah Hung. And then Vajra, or pronounced by Tibetans, Benza, V-A-J-R-A, Vajra. Pema, lotus. Vajra means indestructible. Lotus is, is the power to transform negativity into purity, like a lotus from a dirty pond. Pema. And also the name of Padmasambhava, whose mantra this is. Pema-sambhava. Um, Lotus-born. Pema-siddhi, which is powers. Hong, same Hong, the third syllable, H-U-M or H-U-N-G. So, Om uh, Hong, Vajra Guru, Pema Siddhi Hong. And so, if you do that mantra, and you visualize pacification of negativity in the world, peace, and repeat it, many times, then you can participate in averting this happening and also to hang prayer flags of of Guru Rinpoche or Padmasambhava is his other name. Um, and you can hang those outside your house, um, anywhere. Out. They should be in the wind, not out, not in your house. And um, and then statues of Guru Rinpoche, put them on top of mountains, hills. It doesn't matter which direction they face. Those are the things that are recommended. And that fairly long prayer <laughs> that I read this morning. Um, so those are counteracting energies that you're doing when you're doing the mantra, hanging prayer flags, putting statues places. So, because the year of the dragon is a very active year and a very powerful year, doing these averting rituals in the year of the dragon to avert what could happen in the year of the dog is considered to be a good idea. I'd say that's an understatement. Yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> Rather good idea. Why not, right? I mean, <laughs> we're talking about everything stopping as far as human life, maybe all life, and starting over again. Uh, could you say for me, please, I'd love to just hear you say that short mantra. Would, would it normally said a few times or does it not matter how many times? Well, usually you get a mantra, you know, a, a mala. Mm-hmm. Do 108 or? Yeah. 108 or, you know, 
Tibetans just do mantras all the time. Like when you're driving, do the mantra. When when you're putting your baby to bed, when you're doing the dishes, when whenever cooking. you uh, cooking. cooking, yeah, anytime. And then see the averting action taking place. Because the speech is one thing, but mind is very important. Like attitude, feeling, feeling. Mind, like seeing it. But to me that cultivates, it's a body experience. Mm -hmm. Um, What is it about mantra, sound, coming from our bodies. Mm. I hear a level of choice there. And I hear, I, of course, I think about music and sound. And there's something innately powerful. I mean, think about what you're saying. The human voice choosing to say certain sounds in a certain way with a certain feeling can avert the end, can avert like a timeline coming in a certain way in 2030 that is catastrophic. That to me is powerful on many levels about what else mm-hmm. our speech and our words, yeah. perhaps even our thoughts matter. Well, it's not only um, sound that they recommend because it's also building stupas, um, which is quite a complex process uh, uh, with relics and so on. Um, but anyway, um, sound. Mantras are not in English, and they're not in Italian, and they're not in French, they're in Sanskrit. And Sanskrit is considered to be not a human language. Sanskrit was given to human beings from another dimension, they say, from a higher dimension, and it's a sacred language. So in in the Tibetan tradition, you never translate mantras into Tibetan. They always stay in Sanskrit because the sounds themselves are sacred. And, you know, we, yesterday we were with Deva and Mitten, Deva Pramal and Mitten, and they were talking about the sound of Om. He was saying it has two parts, but actually it has three parts. Ah, Om. And it's written that way. There's the letter A, and then there's the, the vowel O, and then M. But in any case, because Sanskrit isn't human language, its vibrational field is different than human languages that that arise from a certain area, from a certain landscape, from a certain combination of cultures. It's really interesting when you think about, let's say, Italian and how that's the sound, like in a way, the whole country of Italy, if you were like flying over and you could actually hear the sound of Italian, it would be vibrating at a certain frequency of Italian language. And then you go north and you start to hear something different. Oh, that's the French sound or the German sound. So every country is actually creating a sound field by the main language that they speak. But Sanskrit has a different vibrational field. And so 
by repeating Sanskrit sounds, it impacts the world. And that's why mantras are effective. And what dimension do you think this language came from? They say the dimension of the gods. And so, well, what does that mean, the gods? Who are the gods? (laughs) Well, they say there's actually lots of different uh, levels of gods. And some are in samsara, you know, like we are. And so there's the six realms. There's the human realm. There's the realm of the gods. There's the jealous gods, which are sort of like the gods, but they, they're they sort of mean. Emotion is jealousy. And then there's the animal realm. And then there's the dimension of hungry ghosts who are always thirsty and hungry. And then there's the dimension of the hell realms that are either hot or cold. So that those six realms are considered to be in samsara. But then there's also dimensions of that are pure dimensions that are not in samsara and um i i never really believed in these things but i was always like you know really (laughs) but i i had some experiences in retreat when i was in solitary retreat of other dimensions and I also had a near-death experience in Tibet from altitude. And I I also had a, another dimension experience. So they're like they're like our dimension in a way, but they're not solid like our dimension is. The elements haven't densified. It's just light. And the, the field is different. And so it could be that, like, right here in this room, there's actually other dimensions that are happening. But because we're at the level that we are, we can't perceive them. In the same way that right now there's Wi-Fi here, and we can't see it unless we have the right instrument to find it. And so in a way, our meditation is attuning our instrument to be able to subtleize, to become subtle enough to perceive these other dimensions. So Sanskrit came from one of those pure dimensions. Mm. Well, I want to be mindful of your time, but uh, one, if there's anything else you want to add, please do or talk about, please do. Uh, but I'm just curious on a personal level. Uh, do you feel hopeful? We were talking about some pretty intense prophecy and I'm curious where you're, what you're feeling. I think it's good to feel hopeful in the sense that optimism is good for your health. (laughs) And, when we think optimistically, we move toward that. If we think pessimistically, then in a way we're creating that. And so I am holding the vision of a, the averting of 
this these disasters and of of things getting better if I'm really practical and I actually watch what's happening then it's not really encouraging right if you look like at global warming like it's not really turning around although you know some things are to some degree but I think it's really important to hold that positive view because that begins to create that field of that happening. There's a story that I've thought about many times. Of, there's a Lama who was a, one of the teachers of one of my teachers. And um, when the Chinese were invading Tibet and destroying all the stupas, which are reliquies, and all the monasteries, and killing all the lamas, and so on. Um, this this lama was building stupas, kind of on, on the other side of the hill from where the Chinese were already destroying them. And people were saying to him, like, why are you doing that? They're just going to destroy it. It's clear they're coming. And he said that the, that the very act of building the stupa and all the positive accumulation of karma that took place for, in order to do that, was more powerful than a destruction. That's in in some ways the answer or the anecdote to feeling like giving up. It's saying it, beauty matters, or beauty is a response that is worthy. Love is a response in the face of feeling unloved. It feels like burning the fields. You know, we know that's destructive, but fertilizing in a way, and sometimes gets out of control. Uh, But it takes a lot of bravery to be alive these days. At least, to, at least to want to try or to be trying to hold averting energies or mm-hmm. anything that feels counter to the momentum. I think takes bravery. Yeah, and it's 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 much easier to sort of stick your hand in the sand and not look. And, and there's a lot of ways to do that. Yeah, and and um you know, focus on your own comfort and, you know, well, there may be global warming, but I'll be able to move to wherever it is that isn't so affected or whatever. But the the thing is that we're so interconnected. I mean, we saw that with COVID. It was like five minutes before the thing was all over the world. Right? It was. Yeah, I, I thought COVID would be the thing. So I thought, oh, obviously this will this is the perfect thing to bring us together. Oh, you did? I did. Because it doesn't matter about money or where you are, geography. It's coming. It will touch us all. Like literally person to person to person to person. And it shows in a manifest way our physical connection that hopefully would then show our energetic connection and yeah. compassion. And that's why I think we have to realize that anything that we do or think or say does affect everything else that we are in 
a magical web. And the more powerful our thoughts are, the more we've pulled that paper off the top of the glass and we're really in touch with that primordial awakeness, which is extremely powerful, the more benefit we can create. And so we just have to create as much benefit as we can. And therefore, that's why we have to learn to practice and learn to the practices that take the lid off and then stabilize that as much as possible. Also because as things get more difficult, it's very important that there are people with stable minds who aren't freaking out. And so in order to have a stable mind, you have to practice that. That's that's sort of almost like the warrior attitude of today is stabilizing yourself, the inner work, I would imagine then being important because then you can be someone who can step into action, kind of like not being a hungry ghost yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and attuning to those higher dimensions so that you can um, receive their blessings and kind of receive direction from them and um, blessing. Blessings is a big thing in the Tibetan tradition. It's actually like a substance that you can receive from places or people. The word is jinlap, which means um, gift waves. Gift, gift waves. What a cool that word. It's the same as it's like waves in the ocean, gift waves. And so, like, if you ask a lama to bless your mala, for example, your, your prayer beads, then they would give it their gift waves and then kind of infuse it with that. So we we need to access those levels of reality and also realize that no matter what happens, even if we do all get blown up, our true condition isn't going to change. And we might not have human bodies, but there's a pretty big universe out there and who knows how it all will manifest. And we have to do whatever we can to save this one. Because we've also seen that there's no place close that has life above this earth. It seems by design that we can literally look out there and be like, okay, there's nothing even close to close. Therefore, this matters. But there could be things that we don't perceive with our senses. Could be. Yeah. Yeah, I get that sense. <laughs> I mean, there's so much that we that is happening that we don't perceive with our senses. Yeah, thank God, too. I feel like anytime <laughs> I've had psychedelics, like I'm so grateful for this, this waking stability consciousness. I mean, that's what really gets me going now. It's like that I can just be in stillness and equilibrium. <laughs> and and peace and like that is where it's at so grateful for it well maybe we could end with dealer's choice either a blessing <laughs> or a, a, a drop-in of sorts or something to take us out maybe i'll sing a little of the guru uh, Ramache mantra and please, everybody who's listening, sing. 
with me. Again, the words are Om Ahum Benzaguru Pemasidi Hum. Thank you, Lama, for coming on our show. What a blessing. What an honor to have you on and to be able to spend time with you. I know Rod and I really appreciated all that personal time and being able to drop into your Costa Rican world, and we're looking forward to crossing more paths. Uh, I encourage you to dive into her work and to work with this mantra to help avert and to stay, stay in the zones that you need to be in. Uh, she's a well of wisdom, and I... I'm happy to uh, to be able to, to, to chat with her, and I'm looking forward to more. Thank you, Lama Sultram. This song that you're hearing in the background is called Clay Steps, and it's from Music for the Deck of the Titanic, the deluxe edition. There are now 16 tracks, and I hope you're enjoying that record. Thank you for sharing it, and thank you for spreading the good word about it online. You know, social media, that kind of thing. I appreciate the kind messages and the tagging that you do. Uh, working on lots of new things and um, I really appreciate this conversation together of creation and listening. It is an active participation of active listening and that uh, I'm, I'm a part of that too. Uh, thank you again to our Patreon, patreon.com slash East Forest. It's a great way to dive deeper into the project and support and you can do it too. Check it out. Until then, you keep walking your walk. Don't take any shit, but if you do... Do it with grace.